Happy Monday, friends. It's another Mark Claire Monday here at the Mark Claire Show. Start your week off right with a great conversation about, well, a lot of things today. We're going to get into entrepreneurship, psychedelics, and even skincare. That's right. We're going to talk about skincare with my guest today, Jeremy Gardner. But before I talk to him, another great way to start your week, to start your morning, is with a cup of Joe. A cup of Joe from my man, Stephen. Joe from Stephen. Stephen Fox, the proprietor, owner, whatever you might want to say, of Fox & Sons Coffee. He has been a sponsor of this show from nearly the very beginning, and I have been drinking his coffee and been fueled by the dark... Dark, the Den Blend Dark. Sorry, I get I get fumbled up saying these things. You know why? Because I'm on so much coffee. I'm feeling the groove, friends. Uh, honestly, you got to do one thing for me. If you enjoy this show, even if you're a patron already, patreon.com slash Show. You can also hit subscribe star, Rockfin. You see how I intermingle all these plugs? I got to always be plugging, all right? But whether you are or not, I ask you to do one thing. Y'all like coffee. Maybe you don't. If you don't, you can actually skip this, to be honest. Uh, But if you do like coffee, I'm going to ask you to go to foxandsons.com. That's F-O-X, the letter N, S-O-N-S.com, and treat yourself to a bag of coffee on me. Not entirely on me, uh, just 18% on me. So yeah, I'm going to get you 18% off by using my code, discount code MCS, think Mark Claire Show. Head over to Fox and Sons. Pick out a blend, give it a shot. I guarantee you're going to be blown away by how fresh and incredible these beans are. Uh, I have not been able to start my day any other way since being introduced to these awesome blends. Uh, not blends, but these awesome beans. Uh, see, I'm, so, I'm, I'm bad with lingo. I don't even know why Stephen wants me to be doing these reads, to be honest with you, because I don't even know the right terminology. But I know a good cup of coffee when I drink one, and he sends some incredible fresh amazing coffee beans that result once uh, there's a few steps you know through the french press this and that some amazing coffee that fuels me and gets me through these 90 to two hour conversations like you're going to hear today of course if you're a patron or a premium subscriber on rockfin subscribe star uh patreon you did get a 90 minute conversation and let me tell you the smoke filled room bonus segment this one is honestly one of the wildest ones usually i save this for the end of the show to preview but this is one of the wildest and most fascinating smoke filled room segments uh i've ever been a part of in these in these 18 episodes here uh but enough about that you'll get to that when you go subscribe but until then enjoy my conversation with jeremy gardner my guest with me today he is an entrepreneur focused on men's mental health and self care he has had a really really interesting path to get to where he is right now very pleased to welcome jeremy gardner jeremy welcome to my show Thank you so much for having me. Well, Jeremy, you know, there, there's a lot of places we could start here. So I'll let you sort of start wherever you think it's the most appropriate. Um, but really what I want to focus on are, are kind of like how, what started your entrepreneurial journey and, you know, take us on whatever twists and turns seem appropriate on the way. I, I think it, like it's a personality type being an entrepreneur. Like there are photos of me from childhood, like doing lemonade stands. Like I, I loved the hustle. Like, when I was 11 or 12, I realized I could buy video games wholesale off of eBay and then sell them individually off of Amazon and add a markup and, uh, and profit. And so... Did you even play them or was it, was it purely a, an entrepreneurial game? So no, it came from my desire. So like, I didn't get much of an allowance. I would go like work for the neighbors, like uh, like mow their lawns and such. And 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 with the money I made from that, like I I couldn't afford retail price video games. So mm. 
led me to eBay and Amazon. And, and then I realized that there was this arbitrage opportunity, even though I didn't know what arbitrage was. And I, uh, yeah, I definitely played the games, but um, some of the time, but, th- but then I turned it really into a business where I just looked at what a game would cost on, you know, uh, on Amazon, uh, third-party vendors versus buying it along with a bunch of other games. And I could do the math very quickly. So sometimes it was for game consoles I didn't even own. And so as you're sort of, I, I was kind of similar in that I, I was just like always hustling. And as a teenager, you know, whether it was mowing lawns, walking the neighbor's dogs, whatever I could do to get a few bucks that I could just go spend on something else. Um, where did that path continue to lead you? Because I think for me and for a lot of us at, at, the, at the same time, even if we get into entrepreneurial activities sort of as a teenager, there's still this entire system between our parents, our school, everything else is still funneling us back, not into being an entrepreneur necessarily, even oh, if we get a taste yeah. of that. So how did that, how did that go for you? Oh, horribly, <laughs> horribly. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it, it really didn't go well. I mean, I, in that, you know, I, I just, as I saw, there was a, you know, arbitrage opportunity in uh in selling video games there was an arbitrage opportunity in selling pot and so that uh, i mean very quickly i I started smoking weed when i was 12 and so very quickly i realized all right well my parents aren't going to give me money to smoke weed or (laughs) they're not just they're just not going to give me money they're not going to fund this operation but i but but i like getting high so gonna figure out how to uh pay for this and uh i quickly got into that business and so as you might imagine that did not end up well for me uh led to a lot of trouble in and outside of school arrests expulsions um when, when was the first time you, want, when was the first time you got arrested ne- by the way i was 12, 12. or 13 wow. yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And that was for, it, for selling got, pot uh no oh that 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 was a wild one i got uh yeah i actually didn't get it well there were a few there were a few like like missed arrests but uh a, a bad scenarios a lot almost all of it involved weed like, like weed was just like, and, and what's so funny is that pretty much everything that I got in trouble for when I was a teenager, if I was a teenager now in the town I grew up in, wouldn't get in trouble for because weed is not legal in Massachusetts. Uh, you know, but might get in trouble for doing weed. it without a license or something like that, but <laughs> it wouldn't be the same. It would have been totally different. It would have been totally different. It, it, you know, I mean, I got at one point convicted of like, felony intent to distribute narcotics for having an ounce of pot. Wow. You wow. know, it, Massachusetts very quickly changed its stance from kind of like the federal stance, Schedule 1, you know, uh, to decriminalize, to medicalize, to legalize, all in the past like 10, 15 years, but uh, long since I got out of Dodge. So, uh, you know, it would have been a very different life experience had uh, the laws been a bit different. But yeah, I was, uh, I was, you know, just, I, 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 I pushed a lot of boundaries and it was good because when you cross the line so much as a young person, you begin to develop a good sense of where the line is. 
you well, like when you where you where you know when you've gone too far or what is not ethical or what is not legal like you're acutely aware like if you've never broken the law in your life at least intentionally it's very hard to know where that law is especially in business so i actually find that it's much easier for me to be legally compliant ethical because i'm acutely aware of the consequences that happens when you break the rules and cross the or cross the line uh and so uh it, it, it was that, that's a good instinct to have too because i mean yeah. three felonies a day it pretty much was. everybody out there is committing felonies in some way shape or form that doesn't even realize it but the more aware of your exposure to that especially when you're in an entrepreneurial space uh the better because if someone wants to take you down they can they can pretty much find out a way to do so yep and so I think that really helped me later on in my career just because I was aware of consequences and I was a and I was not willing to cross the line, mm-hmm. you know, as an adult. And I haven't had any legal troubles in the past decade of my life. So, so I just want to dive in. So were all those like early run-ins i guess with the law were those all as a teenager were those all in that that time period essentially i got arrested like seven times between the ages of 12 and 21 Wow! and and then never again did any of those lead end up leading to like did you ever spend actual time in in jail jail or how the hell Uh, i've spent many nights in jail uh probably like five six uh nights but never you never had to really serve a Hardcore no, 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 no. I, I, so one, so my parents also didn't really want to ever pay for lawyers. So <laughs> I don't blame them. I was a little schmuck. Uh, uh, but I, it, it, it meant that I kind of learned the law, which once again would go on to help me later on in my career. And I would represent myself in wow. cases and I would go up to the prosecutor and the judge be like, look, I messed up, but this is why like I, I shouldn't be convicted of this. And I always got the charges dropped. Wow. Um and I never I, I never got a I, I ne- never got convicted for as much as a misdemeanor. Uh, well, lots of probation. Okay. Were were you citing like were you doing like intensive legal research to get out of this or was this more it wasn't, it wasn't intensive. It was just like look at me um you know like i was acutely aware of the privilege that i had my dad was a college professor my mom worked at a nonprofit, well-educated family um uh you know i went into prep private schools uh only child and uh, you know i i was acutely aware of the disparities in our criminal justice system and and you know I was the charming white boy that like, you know, you don't want to send down that path. And that was kind mm. of the narrative that I took. It's like, I messed up, but do you really want to give me a criminal record? Mm-hmm. Wow. So was, and uh, yeah. and I, I took advantage of the system. It would, it's a travesty. I mean, I, I, you know, we shouldn't live in a society that's like that. And, and, and there's a tremendous amount of guilt that I've had to work through in my life as a result of that, knowing that if I had been a different skin color or, you know, or different gender and done what I'd done or sexual orientation even, uh, or even height, maybe, you know, 
I I may not have had the success that I've had. I might not have turned the, around my life the way in the way that I did. I mean, uh, I I have a tremendous amount of privilege that I'm acutely aware of. And and also, just it sounds like your attitude towards it. Uh, you could have just taken a fuck this system, this is bullshit attitude, and you probably would have ended up in jail. You know, instead, it sounded like you at least came in with a little bit of humility and repentance, which on a human level. Oh, I'm yeah, sure yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I, I'm one to be humbled. Like, I, uh, like I, when I mess up and I realize the odds are against me, I, I, I will bow down. Uh, uh, you know, the, there's, you know, being defiant in a system that's built against you is, is, is rarely a good idea. So take me a little bit further than how you you had these early sort of entrepreneurial slash felonious, uh, I guess, adventures on the way. Uh, but luckily, you've been clean for a while. So how did you take those sort of early, early uh, incursions, I, I guess you could say, into the world of entrepreneurship and turn those into, uh, I don't know, more more above board, more legal ventures? Well, this is this was issue. Nobody ever identified my skills or what I was doing as entrepreneurship. No mm. one tried to redirect that energy like it's just criminal this is bad yeah yeah like like i go i was in a small college town in western massachusetts like there were no entrepreneurs like you know uh, silicon valley was a long way away and you know it just the idea of startups and such uh uh were not uh something i'd ever considered and so once i was put into an environment where that sort of opportunity could be fostered, it just like fell upon me. Like I had been at Occupy Wall Street in, in New York, tried activism because I knew I wanted to make a, my mark on the world. I wanted to make a positive impact. And I saw activism just really fail. I worked for the governor of Massachusetts. Um, for a summer and then when i dropped out of college for the first time i helped work on the campaign for the woman who is actually now also governor of massachusetts but her first run for attorney general and i realized i was going to spend my 20s pushing papers raising money and i wasn't going to make much of a difference and and so i had this period of cognitive dissonance in my life uh and i transferred to the university of michigan and had a kid sleeping on the couch in the apartment I was living in, talking my ear off about Bitcoin. And I learned there's a Bitcoin club at the University of Michigan. At the first Bitcoin club meetup, I learned there are uh, Bitcoin clubs at MIT and Stanford. And the, the entrepreneurial side of me, the, the kind of activist side of me, the political organizer side of me, all kind of amalgamated um, in, into the entrepreneur that I would very quickly become. And I got on a call with the heads of all these Bitcoin clubs, said, why don't we create an organization? Um, it became what is now known as Blockchain Education Network, kind of got word out there about what we were doing. And within three months, we had 100 chapters uh, in 20 plus countries on every habitable continent. And, uh, uh, you know, you can say the rest is history, but really I drew so much from my early life experiences 
and, and becoming the entrepreneur that I did um, and just avoiding so many mistakes, how I interacted with people, uh, like knowing where that line is, like knowing what I can and can't do, knowing how to read the law. I mean, when I got into to crypto and, and, and started uh, Augur, which was the first DeFi app, the first application on Ethereum, um, there was no precedent for what we were doing. And so that those years I had spent reading the laws, trying to figure out how to get out of my arrest, uh, uh, you know, that came back to serve me in a really additive way. What was it about Bitcoin and, and blockchain technology? What was it that captured you the most about that? Because there there are kind of two kinds of people when it comes to cryptocurrency. There's I'm obsessed and fascinated by this and can't shut up about it. Or there's this is over my head and I don't want to deal with it. So what was it about it that, that kind of sucked you in to get so involved? It provided a, an avenue to do something that activism and politics could not, which was create a new financial system, a better financial system. I, I had been at Occupy. I had worked you know, in government. And I did not believe that our political system, that our financial system, were going to create a better fi- financial system. It just wasn't going to happen. I, I was too jaded. And so when I saw Bitcoin, which effectively allowed anyone to be their own bank, I was like, holy shit, this is it. That, that was the eureka moment where it, it was about financial sovereignty, uh, financial independence in a growingly online world. So I came from came at it from a very different angle than virtually any of the major figureheads in the early days who were primarily libertarian, anarchistic, uh, you know, or at least right leaning. I mean, I'm pretty sure I would always jokingly say I'm the only registered Democrat amongst the CEOs in crypto. But like, I really just saw this opportunity to create a better, more inclusive financial system. And that got me really excited. I mean, as, as my earlier travails would indicate, I, I love sticking it to the man. And it was a great opportunity to do that. Well, I know you experienced some, some sort of highs and lows in the crypto world along the way here. So maybe you can take us through that a bit. I mean... It's it's a real blessing, frankly. I mean, I I've lived through more economic downturns in 31 years than anyone in history, simply because um, crypto is has you know evolved on such a compressed timeline. These massive upticks and downturns, upticks and then downturns, and uh, that parabolic nature really kind of prepares you for anything at a macro level once you've lived through that you know having 90 percent of your wealth evaporate overnight uh and is that a legitimate number that that happened to you not overnight but i i had like like i'd say yeah in 2018 like from all-time highs uh to the bottom of the market my wealth was down over 90 percent, probably or close to it i'm curious just as someone who was who really understood the blockchain technology the crypto space were you 
I don't know if anybody can be mentally prepared for that kind of drop, but were, did you, did that make you panic and say, what am I doing here? Or were you just kind of able to say, well, no, I was relieved. Really? I was <laughs> relieved. It had, it all, it had all happened too fast. We weren't ready for it. Like mm-hmm. the mania was too crazy. I was losing my mind with all the hype and the scams and the bullshit. I was by, by, by late 2018, I was burnt out on crypto. And, and in fact, I, I never regained my zeal after that point. Mm. Um, it was just too much. The amount of greed and incompetence and, and, and just like, just unethical behavior that I saw was uh, really disenchanting. And so, no, I, I thought the crash was a relief. And, and frankly, I had seen most good tech, most of the good technologies and innovations in crypto being built in these bear markets uh, when, when, when crypto is down. And so I, I was always one to indulge in, in, in those moments because people aren't constantly paying attention to the price. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy because like when, when crypto is just going up and up, I, I will hear people that I never hear talking about this stuff, talking about this coin and that coin. And, and then as soon as it goes down, you don't hear a word from them because they, they just lost all, all their money. Exactly. So, um, I'm curious if that experience and seeing these highs and lows, has that has, has your views evolved at all over if you see cryptocurrency sort of replacing the current financial system? Or because at the same time, as, as in these last few years, we've also seen the rise of uh, central bank digital currencies, and those are starting to be put into place. So I'm curious how much you see cryptocurrency able to potentially liberate people versus how much that same technology could actually be used to sort of enslave people if if these cbdc's are enforced upon people yeah i mean look i was naive as i i was 21 22 you know uh you know being idealistic i mean idealism gets you a a long way but uh but it doesn't make up for reality uh and the reality is that we have entrenched financial interests we have a really broken political uh, system in the United States. It, it, it seems as if the United States is about to forego its uh, grasp on the global digital dollar, which is probably the best thing that came out of blockchain technology, is the dollarization of the world via Tether and USDC, these uh dollar stable coins um have helped dollarize uh, you know the east um you know it, the the global south i mean it's extraordinary and yet you see regulators and politicians you know making it hard for stable coin issuers to do business and it, it's a precarious state of affairs i think it's great for the United U.S. Empire's hegemonic interests. Um, uh, in terms of the individual, I think blockchain technology will remain a force for good. Overwhelmingly, if, if someone needs to have, you know, a, a, you know more private autonomous money, uh, crypto is still the best solution. It's better than cash. But will it displace? um our financial system no and i i don't know if i ever truly believed that i you know i think you know bitcoin in theory could become a new gold standard perhaps 
Um, I think, you know, the dollar standard will expire eventually. And I think, you know, crypto is going to probably outlive any, you know, fiat currency. But in what iteration, I don't know. But I think there will always be, uh, you know, there, there, there will be sovereign forms of e-currency, um, cryptocurrency. And, and, and that's what's important. And so I'm happy that it exists. I'm not thrilled with all the developments in the industry. Um, you know, there's been... a it's turned in many ways in into Wall Street 2.0, kind of just like gambling and not stuff that I like. It, it's not done as much as I would have liked to help bank the unbanked and, you know, serve the disenfranchised. But I think the world's better off with this technology. I mean, crypto represents the biggest wealth transfer in human history. And it's going to younger tech savvy individuals it's you know it, it's lowering it, you know it's creating more young wealthy people that can do good things in the world i'd like to consider myself one of them and so that that's not a bad thing it seems to somewhat parallel kind of how you were looking at politics how, how sort of at some point you know we a lot of people go into the political world or what have you with these grand visions of how their vision is going to completely change the system, change the world. Um, as someone who kind of got his roots in like the libertarian ish side of things that used to be the whole thing. We just need to hand people this book, this book on Mises, this book on this and that. And then of course they'll all change their minds and the whole world will change. Um, similarly in crypto, I think a lot of people approach crypto with this attitude of if I, if my dad and my family just understands this technology, then everything's going to change. And whether it's politics, whether it's the financial system, uh, at some point you have to become a little humbled and realize you're not necessarily going to be changing the way everybody you know looks at things. That's a much a much bigger, bigger project. But what you can do is sort of hone in on certain things and figure out how... When you create the tools. Exactly. You create the tools for the, the people that want them. Right. That's right. what matters. And, and that's what my first venture fund, Awesome Ventures, focused on was this intersection of blockchain technology and social impact. And so we could, you know, funnel money into companies that were providing these tools uh, uh, to make people's lives better. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and these tools do exist, and I'm glad that they exist. But there's just, you know, the, there's a lot of regulatory capture that we're dealing with. There's a lot of entrenched interest and incumbents and self-serving and scams and frauds and, and i think it's inevitable in any financial system i and that's probably where i was most naive is that the it is that believing in the transparency of the blockchain which you blockchains are incredibly auditable financial databases um for the most part and yet you know the scams keep happening and so, you know, you can't, you, you can't fight against human nature. Right. Um, yeah. You I mean, can at, try. at the end of the day, exactly. And at the end of the day, like you said, like crypto is just a tool. So all you can do is, you know, create tools and try to help people and send them in certain directions. Um, 
kind of transitioning to another tool that that sort of has served you, I think, over the years, uh, especially when dealing with a subject that we'll talk about um, that's mental health and how that has sort of coincided with your entrepreneurial journey. And I know one place that one sort of a pathway that took you down is into the realm of psychedelics. So you can pick that up wherever it makes the most sense. When did you first when did you first, I guess, get concerned with men's mental health issues? Was it your own mental health or the mental health of others? And how did you sort of get your way into the psychedelic end of things? Well, so, 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 you know, my experiences in crypto, uh, you know, led me uh, to two very different ventures, men's skincare and then psychedelic medicine. Which most people probably wouldn't put together uh, on their own. (laughs) No, but they're, they're actually highly, highly correlated. And so, uh, my first experience with psychedelics happened at a point when I needed the most but expected the least. Uh, uh, when I was about 12, I just started to have some serious uh, chemical imbalances in my brain. It's the best way to put it. I was angry, depressed, frequent suicidal ideation. In retrospect, based off of uh, some new neuroscience that's come out, it's very likely that a, con- a concussion I suffered when I was 11 or 12 Oh. probably led to some of the behavioral issues I was having. Uh, like a, like a CTE I, type you know, thing or something like that? Yeah, it's just like a, a con- concussion in young people. Lead, in 15% of young people that have concussions, we've now discovered, there are, it leads to behavior, long-lasting behavioral issues. Mm. It, 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 it's remediable, but you have to know the cause. And, and in my case, they just thought I was fucking crazy. Uh, and so I was on like five different psychiatric drugs, nothing was working, wanted to die. This is when I'm getting arrested, kicked out of schools. Um, and as a result, you know, I'm experimenting with all sorts of substances. And one of those substances just happened to be mushrooms. My friends acquired a bunch and as a scrawny, skinny, uh, you know, uh 14 year old i ate 3.5 grams of mushrooms which is a uh, macro dose the for master dose, most yeah. adults uh, and i was transformed i i i had a utterly profound and transcendental experience that led me to reevaluate how i perceived my own reality and, and how, how old were you when positive sense. how old were you then 14 14 wow Wow. And I, after that experience, I never wanted to kill myself again. Uh, a year later, I took the same dose and I got this message to stop taking my psychiatric drugs, got off all of them, and I haven't had a depressive episode in 16 years. Wow. And so I, at a very young age, was acutely aware of the therapeutic value of psychedelics and i would go on to sit with just about every psychedelic uh known in the popular culture at least and uh have harnessed them as this very additive tool in my life uh and starting about nine ten years ago uh, there started to be new research since most of the research that had been done in the 50s 60s and 70s had been archived and put away um, and was inaccessible to someone like me to vindicate uh, my advocacy for these medicines. Uh, uh, New research started to come out 
really showing the efficacy in treating a huge swath of mental health indications and more. Uh, when I first made money, which was shortly after this all started back in, say, 2015, 2016, I started funding uh, studies like at UCSF, their end of life studies with psilocybin, uh, validating, you know, something I deeply knew. Uh, and then uh, at the end of the last decade, my friends started MindMed, which ended up being one of the biggest, uh, uh, well, the biggest psychedelic IPO ever. It was the first, I believe, but it became a multi-billion dollar company. And I was like, holy shit. I've got a few shares myself. Not only are, 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 are not only are being uh, vindicated, but there's a business opportunity here. And, and you know, I, I, I consider myself a conscious capitalist, someone that really tries to invest uh, for the greater good and, and uh, understanding that capitalism can be a tool for really helping people. And, and so I got very excited, started doing angel investing deals uh, in this space, seeing some of the best startups I've ever seen in terms of the, the pedigree of the teams, the advisory boards, I mean, deans of met the top medical schools around the world. And by mid-2021, I was like, I have to do a fund that's investing in this. Uh, all the while, I've been running a men's skincare company, really trying to teach men self-love. Uh, and all of this just came out of, you, you know, me looking at a lot of my friends in the crypto sphere, you know, who were making obscene amounts of money, myself included, not as much as many of them, but en enough to be like, you know, validating something I always knew is like money. It's not going to make you happy. It's not going to make you a better person. By that, by and, that do you mean and, you were around a lot of people that even though they had acquired like maybe millions of dollars in some cases from cryptocurrency, you still saw that they were like in a miserable state, miserable. many of them self-hating and stuff like that. Yeah. And so that, that's why I went in, you know, and, and, you know, I had experience, you know, seeing myself on TV and in the news with horrible skin. Hmm just like being so embarrassed, like, you know, I wanted to fix my skin, which led me to starting the skincare company, but, and, and wanting to create a tool to give men more confidence. And, you know, it, the psychedelics are just an extension of that. It's just giving individuals the tools to discover self-love and to heal trauma and to be more complete people. Cause you can have all the money in the world and it won't make you happy. I right, tie this more into the skincare thing for me, because I think a lot of, especially in my audience, probably a lot of people are, are with you on the crypto journey, the psychedelic journey, then they're like, skincare, why do I, why do I got to care about skincare? What, what does that have to do with anything? So how, why did this become such an important issue to you on your journey? And maybe try to make that connection a little bit more for us. Yeah. I mean, if you wake up in the, in the morning and look in the mirror and don't like what you see, you're not going to have a good day. It's that simple. Um, if you know, if you don't believe that like you look your best, you're not going to feel your best. And, you know, what I tried to do with Made Man, my skincare company, is to make it simple. You know, we created a su two super high quality products, an all-in-one moisturizer, two-in-one shaving gel and facial cleanser. You know, you clean your face at night, shave if you need to, um, or in the morning, and then moisturize in the morning. 
that simple, but by creating that routine, which will make your skin look better. And on a, uh, on a daily basis, make you feel good about yourself because you know you're investing in your stuff. It, it sets the foundation for other good new habits, whether it's going to the gym or eating healthy or sleeping regularly. You know, if you've ever read Atomic Habits, uh, you, a skincare regimen is a great example. It's this small incremental step in your life, this positive habit, this investment in yourself that you commit to. You don't beat yourself up if you miss it. But once you show yourself that you can do that, it makes it easier to do other things. And so for me, skincare is this strangely stigmatized um, self-care behavior that every woman does and barely any man does, yet we all have skin. And nobody wants to look bad. I mean, the vast majority of a first impression is made in under a second. It's just how you are. And if you're not investing in that first impression, you are doing yourself a disservice and not giving yourself your best shot at life. I'm just thinking of, of our own bathroom where on my side there, we have like one of those bathrooms that has two separate sinks. My side has like yep. a toothbrush and like a hairbrush and like, that's it. And then my wife's side has that plus 40 moisturizers. <laughs> well, so, so send, send me, send me your mailing address. I'll get you a box shipped. It makes okay. like a skincare regimen. I won't say no to that. Uh, 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 it will make a skincare regimen. So simple, and your wife will be so turned on. Uh, I, I can't even tell you. She'll be blown Women away if she's any moisturizing, trust me. Exactly. And cleaning your face at the end of the day, getting all the crap that you accumulate by touching your face and going out into the world. Uh, it's so simple. It, it really it takes less than two minutes. Uh, and it, you, know, you will feel better. You will look better. Um, but convincing men to do this, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. I've developed entirely new crypto economic systems, developed some of the most complex financial arrangements and instruments. And, and, and the hardest thing I've ever done is convince men to take care of their skin. Uh, I'm curious, like in your research and diving into, you know, forming a, a business based around skincare, have you found any sort of anything that may, might be a factor more so today? that might not have been a factor for men like 40, 50 years ago. Like are there, are there toxins in our environment, things in our food, things that make our skin just worse off right now that we need to yeah. be watching out so, for? So, so, so a big thing that I focused on in, in developing uh, my formulation with the moisturizer, blue light. So from the screen that we have, from the TVs, from our phones, we constantly have these screens emitting light and it's it dries out our skin, it ages us. And so uh, the best protection, you know, I think everyone needs should use sunscreen if they're going to be in the sun a lot. But most of us are in front of a screen all day because, you know, we're working in front of a computer. Blue light protection. And so that is something that uh, I have heavily designed for in, in the formulation and ensuring that this provides protection for, you know, you know, your white collar worker. 
It's not the sun that's your worst enemy. It's actually your screens these days. Can, can you explain like I'm like I'm five years old? Because I hear this I hear this term all the time, and I'm I understand that it's bad for some reason, but I don't really know why. Explain to me this blue light thing because I hear it tossed around all the time, and everybody says it's bad for me. It's what just it? like any other form of light, but it's a screen emitted light, and and just like the sun causes skin damage by by being exposed to your skin for too long. The light from your screens, if, it, if it's exposed to your skin for too long, is damaging. And, and so this helps provide a nice layer of protection. So if, I, if I'm sitting here all day, as I often am, with I have two screens in front of me right now, both beaming at me all day. Um, maybe I don't feel it like I would in the way that if I was literally like at the beach all day, I would and without protection, I would feel that and I would be in pain and that would suck. Uh, but you're saying that there's like a slow, slow burn going on on my skin from all these. All these also screens. with your eyes, also with hmm. your retinas. And, and that's why a lot of people that spend a lot of time in front of computers wear blue light glasses, even if they don't have any sort of visual impairment, it protects their eyes from the blue light from the screens. So it affects your cornea, uh, retinas, uh, it affects your skin. Um, you know, everything in life is about moderation, including moderation. Uh, but but if, you, if you have a large amount of something in your life, you probably want to ask, am I protecting myself against the negative benefits of whatever I have this large amount of exposure to? Does it doesn't matter what it is, even if you're going running every day, like it's like the, there are downsides to that, or you're dieting every day, like there are downsides to that, and, and you just want to be mindful of the potential harms in uh, whatever you're heavily exposed to. But uh, but but protecting yourself against blue light, it's just a no brainer. It's it's just one of those things where. You know, the science is, uh, you know, it's still being proven out. We're still trying to understand the facts. It's, as you said, 40 years ago, this wasn't an issue. So we're still learning, but it's better safe than sorry. I'm curious to, to you looking big picture at things. How much of starting an entrepreneurial venture to you is just having a general concept of something, maybe not even understanding the details. Cause when I, when you think back to uh, what were you saying earlier about um, your experience with psychedelic mushrooms, you, when you started the business, you had to do a lot of research because, you know, if people are going to invest in something, they need evidence and numbers and things of that nature. But you didn't really need that because you had the experience. So to you, you were finding the numbers to justify the experience you had to, to sort of have, start a business adventure. Um, but for those that are sort of aspiring entrepreneurs, I'm just curious how much of that is just how much of being able to push forward with that idea is I know this is helpful. I know this can benefit people. And then we have to go seek out the numbers versus how much do you have to actually just justify the numbers before pushing into that space, if that makes sense. Uh, I, I'm not sure what you mean by numbers, but what I say. But, what yeah, I, I just mean more like, yeah, like like how you're describing how you, there was like. A, I, I got you. I got yeah, you. Okay. I got you. Yeah. Like what I tell people is if you have an idea for a startup or for a company, one, you should probably solve a problem in your own life, an immediate problem. Like don't create a solution looking for a problem. Like. Create a solution to a problem that exists for you or a, a, a problem that you're acutely aware of. Like, that is the first part. Then, you know, either hypothesize your solution or actually go and create it physically uh, uh, or code it and then present it to the potential customers. Say, do 
you want to use this? Is this something that you would pay for? Um, you know, one of the Bibles of starting a startup is the lean startup. It's about just getting to a minimal viable product, an MVP. If you can get to that MVP, but it really can just be a concept in your head, just pitch it to people and say, is this something you would use? And you go validate it. And, you know, when you say pitch um, it to people, or, do I, you just mean like in your friend circle even, or just like whoever yeah, you can find friend, people, people you respect, uh, 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 both people that could be investors, people that could be users, um, people that you think will hate the idea. You just, you go, you, you, you just throw the idea against the wall and see what sticks. Um, the worst thing you can do is keep the idea bottled up in your head. You got to go test it. And then you go iterate based off of the feedback. Yeah, because I mean, especially from um, my listeners, I mean, one thing I, I always hear about is, you know, I have this idea. I've always had this idea. I have this thing. But there's there seems to be a wall for a lot of people, myself included sometimes, that it's it's like, how do I go from idea to actually take the action? And I think from you, it sounds like it always very much came naturally to you to start taking that action. Um, but as someone who I'm sure has had to partner with other people and that sort of thing in various business ventures, um, what advice would you have to people who have that idea, but can't seem to like broach that actual step of, 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 of going from idea to action. Well, make, well, first like Google is your best friend. See, make sure that no one's already doing it. I mean, so often people pitch me stuff. I'm like, I, I, I'll go on Google during the conversation. I'll be like, there's a business doing exactly right. what you're telling me right They're now. Crushing it. Like, have you even done your market research? Like, so that's number one, like validate that no one's done it. Or, or, or no one's successfully doing it. I mean, uh, you know, men's skincare, obviously, lots of people have tried. No one's figured it out yet. But, uh, uh, the, 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 you know, you got to go validate it. And then you need to make sure that you're the right person for it. Like, there's a great Japanese uh, term. It's called ikigai. I-K-I-G-A-I. Um, and it's reason for being. And it's this Venn diagram of what you're good at, what you enjoy doing, what you can be paid for, and what the world needs. And if you can find something at the center of all that, you're golden. And, and, and it's much easier to find that reason for being that icky guy as you get older and, and kind of have more self-awareness of your own capabilities of of your talents of what the world needs. But, but, but if you constantly keep that concept as a frame of reference in your mind, you'll be very well positioned to figure out what you should be working on. And so it, 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 if you have found your icky guy in that concept, you should pursue it and you just try, like you do the steps that are necessary. You take the risks uh, you know, uh, depending on your age and, and, and whether you have any liabilities or people depending on you, you, you calculate the amount of risk you can take, but you just try it. You, 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 you know, the, the internet is littered with resources on how to go build a company, uh, start an idea, go from zero to one, as uh, Peter Thiel says, strongly recommend reading that book. Um, but you you just have to do it and, and 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 you know these people i'm not saying this is necessarily the folks that you're referring to or yourself but 
you know, there are these people that spend their whole lives asking what if. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's a pretty shitty question to ask. It's like, why not? Yeah. Just go find out. Do it. <laughs> like, what's the way, you know, you know, it's that great kind of. Because worst case, it's a miserable failure. Fuck around yeah. and find out. You know, you're, you're not going to find out unless you fuck around. So, and the more you fuck around, the more you find out. And, and, and then it's about finding that, not crossing that line. But you got you got to fuck around to find out. And most people aren't willing to fuck around. Most people just want their nine to five jobs, uh, taking their salary and, 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 and not take those risks. But the fact is, is that most ventures, especially in this day, this day and age of automation, outsourced labor, uh, you know, artificial intelligence, like you can start almost any venture without quitting your job and, and testing it out, creating that MVP. Te- you know, testing it with other people, seeing whether there's an appetite. There's never been a better time in human history uh, or easier time in human history to go and start a business. Yeah. And on the other side of that, like like everything you were just mentioning now with AI and technology, um, if you are one of those people that you, you have these daydreams or what have you, but eh, you're pretty comfortable in the nine to five, there's a pretty good chance that nine to five is going away from technology, from AI, from whatever it may be. Well, that's a whole other existential question. True, true. But so you can say, I don't want to take the risk because I want to keep my nine to five, but it's, that's a risk too. It's, it's all a risk, I guess is the point anyway. So you may as well take the risk and wipe that what if out of your mind, because worst case, your what if uh, is nothing. It's a miserable failure or it just, it does, it's not necessary, but then you don't need to sit there and daydreaming. But I think, I think the appeal to some people of the daydream, the constant daydream of the what if is you never need to confront it. Then you never need to, to think about, well, what if this is a failure? What if I am not right for this? You can always imagine you are, you can always have this fantasy world where yes, if only I just put a little bit of effort in this thing would have been huge. I just didn't feel like it. Ultimately there are two types of people in the world. The people that choose a good life with comfort and stability and those that choose an interesting life uh, that often is uncomfortable and lots of instability. And you can only choose one. It's either good or interesting. It doesn't mean there won't be good in the interesting life, um, but it's a mindset. And you can break all people down into those two categories, interesting or good. And most people choose, uh, you know, the good. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it's, it is ultimately complacency. Uh, you know, when you are comfortable, you can't grow. They're called growing pains for a reason. You can't grow without discomfort. You have to be willing to do things that are uncomfortable in order to get to where you want to go or daydream about go. Have you had any moments along this entrepreneurial journey, starting several businesses here? Have you had any moments that were just complete gut punches where you just, you know, you just got nailed with something you didn't expect or something fell through where you just said, I can't even believe I'm, I'm doing this, but obviously you did bounce back from that. So maybe you can, if you have a story, you could pass along along those lines. Great. And then I'm, I'm kind of curious, like how you obviously did rebound from that. Cause here you are. That's 95% of the entrepreneurial journey is just gut punches and, and, and soccer punches. And you don't even know where it came from. And you know, you think you could, it might be easier to give me a story of a day that didn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, 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 it's so rare that you're not dealing with something 
the more that you do, the more bullshit that you deal with. It, it, it just it, that that's the nature of entrepreneurship and business. Uh, it, it never gets easier; it just gets harder. The challenges just get bigger. But like, like I'll tell you, like last at the end of last year, um, uh, I was filing my taxes late, which I always do, and I, I was approaching the deadline and. Uh, you know, my my business partner who runs my family office, uh, you know, she historically has always managed all my tax filings and stuff. And she had done an estimate of my taxes at the end of uh, 2021. So I had a sense of what I was going to pay uh, to the IRS. And, and, and when I turned 30, which was uh, uh, a year ago in January, um, I really decided to be more fiscally responsible. I, I had a budget, I had everything mapped out. Uh, you know, I, you know, I've been a multi-millionaire for a better part of a decade and I was constantly running out of cash on hand, becoming illiquid because I wasn't managing, uh, uh, my wealth well. And so I was very determined to change that. And I had been feeling so good for the last, nine months plus uh since before i turned 30 and, and, and going into this year and then uh i hired accountants uh just because my business partner she had had to get in you know she really couldn't focus on my tax filing um and my tax bill was like 70 percent bigger 75 percent bigger than i expected uh like we're talking hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, more than I expected it to be. And as someone that never, like, I had been so proud that I was, like, keeping a balanced book where I was never out of money, but just always had enough. I did not have anywhere near enough to cover my uh, tax bill for 21. And it threw a wrench in everything I was doing because all of all all of my... You know, I, I had investments lined up. I had, you know, income planned out. Uh, and then, you know, a company that I had, uh, a company that I had an, uh, invested in and who had been acquired the year prior was supposed to, uh, they had a, a payout planned at the, well, in February this year, that got pushed back a year. And so literally all my financial planning went out the window. and. It's existential because I've got employees to pay. We're not profitable yet with my skincare company. I don't really have outside investors for the most part. And so I I had a film I was executive producing where I was supposed to finance the entire film. And all of a sudden, I owe a massive amount of money to the federal government. And I'm like, holy shit, what do I do? And so, you know, you find yourself in these situations. Now, I probably... I've brought these situations on to myself with the liquidity and such, you know, there's always, there's always an explanation. Like, and I could say, look, if I've been raised in a wealthy family that taught me how to manage my wealth, uh, I wouldn't have been in this situation. Like, you know, I, I didn't know how to be rich when I got rich. I, I didn't grow up in a wealthy with wealthy parents or in a wealthy town. And like, I, I, I knew nothing about managing the sort of money that I came into. And so, I don't expect anyone to pity me. Uh, uh, you know, I, like I said, I'm the epitome of privilege in many senses. But at the same time, 
uh, you can get totally caught off guard. And, you know, it's what it comes down to, whether it's startups or just life in general or relationships, it's about perseverance. It's like you just put one foot in front of the next, despite being knocked a hundred feet back and just keep on going and you figure it out and you work your way through it and you call on the favors and you do what you have to and, and you make uncomfortable decisions and you have uncomfortable conversations and, and, and you do what needs to be done. And, you know, in my case, you know, and I hope for most people, you try to maintain your integrity throughout all that. You don't take shortcuts when things get bad. You do the right thing, even if it's uncomfortable. Yeah, that's kind of the last thing I want to I want to inquire about a little as we wind down the main show here is how much just to tie back to that original experience with psychedelics and how that sort of changed your outlook on things. How has that experience or just just how you were transformed by that experience allowed you and helped you to deal with difficult situations like that, like suddenly owing hundreds of thousands of dollars that you don't have, for example? How how has that how has that change in your your mental landscape allowed you to better deal with things like that when they come up? Yeah, I mean, um, I'm so stoic as a result of my psychedelic experiences. the Stoics have a, a great saying. Um, what is it? It is um, oh, multiple. Of my friends have it tattooed. Oh <laughs> shoot! What is it? I, I know what the saying is. It is. It, it's to love. Oh, morfati. It means to love one's fate. It, it, it's. It is. You know, whatever life throws at you, you just see it as an adventure. Ryan Holiday is a great author that I recommend to everyone. The obstacle is the way, and so, you know, I can tell you, like my very first psychedelic experience, like the most profound realization. It sounds silly when I say it, but this is coming from a fourteen-year-old that was like contemplating suicide. But I'm like, I remember just thinking. How on earth can I be so angry and depressed and wanting to die when there are kids starving in Africa? Same age as me, just born in a different place and under different circumstances. And I'm feeling bad for myself. How dare me? Like, how dare I? Those kids are probably sword fighting with branches or having fun that day, not even thinking about their problems. Exactly. Not thinking about killing themselves just because they're starving. Like, you know, and so, you know, there's another saying, you know, life um, is a tragedy for those who feel and life is a comedy for those who think. And so I'm very, I'm very much able to intellectualize these things. It's just like, it doesn't matter. Like, like this, this was the worst thing that could happen to me financially uh, my this experience uh you know four four or five months ago and it just wasn't that bad like it felt like the end of the world for a brief moment but it's like i'll get past this I'll, I'll i'll dig through it like my world is not ending it just sucks but who cares the worst shit could happen it's just not a big deal and yeah and that all comes from you know what I've learned in these meditations, both through my personal tribulations, but very much from psychedelics. You know, I attribute most of my success and happiness from my psychedelic experiences um, because it just gives me perspective. You know, when you, you can look outside of yourself 
and stop feeling sorry. You know, it makes it much easier to get through anything. I just never feel sorry for myself. That's good. That's a good way to go about life, Jeremy. Um, Before we wrap up here on the main show, we'll hop into the smoke filled room and have a little fun in a second. But I just want to give you the chance to plug away on anything and everything you got going on, including, of course, your skincare company. How and uh, maybe one more time emphasize why the many, many young men, youngish, depending on how we want to look at that, listening to this program, I can should should check that out. Oh, well, you can check out Made Man at Made Man on Twitter and Instagram. We don't really use Twitter. We're also getting more, much more active on TikTok. Um, GetMadeMan.com. Uh, we got discount codes. Hit me up if you don't find one that you like. Uh, you can just look up Jeremy Gardner. Well, actually, it may be harder these days because I guess they're giving out blue check marks to everyone. But uh, Gonzo Gardner on uh, Instagram, Disruptedpreneur on on Twitter, and. Uh, pretty easy to find on on those platforms. Uh, But, you know, look, if you want to develop good routines, if you want to care for yourself, if you don't want to look old when you're older, it's a great investment. It's just over a dollar a day. And it's one of the best investments you can make in yourself because first impressions are so important. Well, Jeremy, I really do appreciate uh, all the insight you've shared with us today. Really appreciate you coming on my show. Thanks a lot. My pleasure. All right, friends, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jeremy Gardner. I know I sure did. And I really enjoyed even more so when we got into the smoke-filled room. That is the bonus segment, part of the extended version of all of these episodes that subscribers to the show, supporters of the show, have access to, early access to as well. Uh, so whether you're a supporter on Patreon, Rockfin, Subscribestar, I have all these options for you, all these options out there for you. So uh, whatever your preferred method is, you can find all those over at markclare.com. Just Eight smackaroos per month gets you over two hours at a minimum, often more of extra content and episodes before anybody else, as well as other bonus content I do, such as show will be dropping tomorrow called Mark's Monthly Musings, where I kind of give you my insider look at the previous month's podcast, give you a little preview of things to come, talk about some things I've been uh, reading, things I've been watching, talk about some things that I've got in the works. Uh, That's all available to subscribers, again, on Patreon, Subscribestar, Rockfin, do whatever you want. I don't care how you do it, as long as you do it. And even if you don't, even if you don't toss up the It's Macaroos to help me out, help me run this show here, uh, I really do appreciate all of you that take the time to listen, to watch. I don't say this enough, all over YouTube, all over the video channels. This is a video show as well. So uh, pretty much anywhere you can find video right now, I am at uh, YouTube, Rumble, Odyssey, BitChute, Rockfin. I even post my regular episodes on the free side of Rockfin. So uh, there's really no shortage of methods by which you can hear or watch this program. So I appreciate whatever method you are all using to do that. And until next week, as always, in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. (laughs) 